I've always been a huge proponent and fan of ritual and ceremony and all the work we've ever done. And when we created the treatment center, that was a a major foundation. The kids being initiated into a bear tribe and the kids graduating from a bear tribe. And when they do the hero's journey in English, it's not just a conversation about a book they read or a movie they watched. It's an actual experiential process. And we use nature for part of this. And we use ropes courses for part of this. Because there's an experience that is taking place in the body during recovery that is mimicked by drugs. I have found recently a lot of amazement at the idea when I talk to kids who've used drugs that they feel like they've been on a journey, but they haven't left the couch. And they feel like they've been part of a community, but they haven't left the computer screen. And they feel like they've created changes in their life, but really all they're doing is messing with the chemistry in their brain. Ritual, ceremony, brain chemistry, things like yoga, things like exercise and Tai Chi, things like drinking tea. These are not new. uh, The power of these things are not new to clinicians who work in recovery. Many, many years ago, I met a woman, Avani Dilger. And she is the founder of a outreach program, which has grown from working with some kids and in her private practice to this extremely popular community in Boulder, Colorado. And it's called Natural Highs. And I became involved with Avani uh, through my kids, both my son and my daughter. But uh, more than that, I became involved with Avani at a colleague. As a colleague, as she started running these Natural Highs sober raves, these dance parties for teens who are trying to do all the things that the kids get high to do, but these sober raves, kids weren't getting high. And so my best friend Jeff and I are still and would be bouncers at the door to create a safe place for these kids. The circle that Avani has created, the circle of youth, the circle of education, the circle of experience that Avani has created is why she's my guest today. Today's show is about natural highs, and the title of today's show is The Circle. This is Beyond Risk and Back. I am a teacher, teen and parent coach, internationally known trainer. I own and run a residential treatment center for teens. And best of all, I am a happy father, stepfather, and husband. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, brought to you by Mental Health News Radio and Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. I am your host, Aaron Huey. Beyond Risk and Back is designed for parents, clinicians, and teachers looking for support to guide the teens they care for to move forward from risky behaviors into real freedom and and responsibility. Now, let's help each other get these kids back from beyond risk. Avani, thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, I've heard you've had a uh, quite a busy week last week. Hi. Thank you, Aaron, for having me. Yes, we were actually working at the Arise Music Festival in Colorado, bringing natural highs, you know, into an environment uh, where drug use is very prevalent. And at the same time, you know, it's interesting that this festival is considered one of the more conscious festivals. And so we lived this weekend with a lot of these paradoxes of young people really seeking extraordinary experiences and unfortunately often using substances to get there. And we brought several naturalized workshops to show that there's an alternative in having experiences, that you can have much more profound experiences 
without using chemicals, but you know, in with using ritual and using community and working with your brain chemistry in smarter ways than just using chemicals. I have a couple questions about the Arise Festival, but first for listening, Arise Festival, uh, like Avani said, is is a music festival. It's here in Colorado, but it's also it's got bands like Leftover Salmon and some of these other bands that have that are popular in the marijuana culture, that are popular in the drug use culture. And this is one of those outdoor festivals and people camp there and people show up and uh, it, it tends to be a relatively peaceful event, but it also tends to be a lot of drug use at these events. So, Avani, you said we were working at it. What do you mean by we? You were there. Who else was there? You know, it it was actually young people. So kids I work with, teens uh, who I work with that brought us there who felt very strongly that these are environments where young people seek consciousness and experiences and where we should educate young people in how to have those experiences of altered states and community in healthier ways. So it was the initiative of teams who I work with uh, that brought us there. And so I went there with a group of peer mentors, so leaders in natural highs, to teach workshops. These are kids uh, out there talking to other kids, older kids and adults, teenagers that you work with. What are the ages? Actually, I didn't take them. They took me, right? So the initiative (laughs) came from teens. Uh, They're between the age of 15 and 20, and they felt very strongly that this is an environment where natural highs should be represented. And as you know, this is how natural highs works, is that I run natural highs with about 20 high school students who uh, are leaders of the program, and it's really young people who decide, you know, what we do, where we go, what we teach. Because of that, the program, Natural Highs, is very creative and very cool, and I just get to be along for the ride. You know, what's amazing to this is that you're talking about taking, you're talking about being taken, I love that, by kids ages 15 to 20 years old to a music festival where apparently that's where the cool kids are going to go. And here are a group of kids who are leading workshops about higher states of consciousness without drugs and community and all the things that drugs are supposed to give us, you know, higher states of consciousness and community. And these are the kids who are wanting to do this through other types of things that we'll get into. But essentially, they're the kids saying, hey, you can do this and still be sober. You don't have to be messing with the brain. So it seems like these were the unpopular kids at the Arise Festival. Was there was there pushback on them being and presenting a counterculture, or how were they received? Or were they were they cool there at the Arise Festival? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think actually they were the the very the coolest kids. So you know the kids I work with who then live who decide to live the natural highs lifestyle. So a lifestyle without the use of chemicals and substances, but a health lifestyle. They are the ones, you know, who created this workshop that we started the festival with. And the title of the workshop was Beyond Psychedelics, the Sacred Path of Sobriety. So we actually had over 80 people put our workshop on the schedule. And we were hoping that not that many people would show up because we just had a tent that held about 40, 50 people. And so we had exactly, you know, a full tent of people. And when I looked into their eyes, I saw, you know, 
young people who are really seeking, you know, altered states and expanded consciousness and who are really seeking for the right thing, but often don't know how to get there without using substances like psychedelics. And so our workshop was very popular. And so what we did is we just ended up teaching the brain chemistry of psychedelics as it compares to the brain chemistry of having altered states of consciousness without the use of chemicals. And I actually had throughout the three days of the festival, I had people approach me and tell me how valuable the workshop was for them and how they, how much they appreciated people teaching them how to actually get there without using drugs. And so I would say, you know, our kids are, are extremely popular there. And we heard people, you know, say to us, like, we need much, much more of this kind of education. So, and this is a tendency I see a lot among young people that it's not that young people don't want to know about alternatives. It's just often that they don't have access to being taught and receiving this kind of education. Let's back up for a second, because you're presenting the perfect intro into what this you know, this, this podcast is going to be about, I've called it the circle because you're, you're offering children, you're offering teens and young adults, the exact thing that we all seek, higher stage of consciousness, altered states, community, the circle and this sacred circle of getting closer to something deeper. So before we get into that, I want to know what is your background and how on earth did you come up with this? The Natural High started really out of, I would say, desperation. I mean, when I grew up as a young person, I was very interested in, you know, having expanded states of consciousness and not just, you know, having this kind of boring life, but going further than that. And in my circle of friends, when I was a young person, two of my friends died in connection to their drug use. And so as a young person, for me, that was devastating. And I was really angry about that, that we didn't get support or that we didn't have another outlet. And so from that moment on, I was committed to figuring this out, to understanding why young people who are really wonderful people, why they end up sometimes being so destructive. And so I wanted to understand that and I wanted to find a solution for that. And so I ended up studying whatever I could to figure this dilemma out. And this quest brought me here to the U.S. from Germany. And uh, I studied somatic psychology, which is looks at the interface of body and mind, understanding, you know, emotions that we struggle with, cravings underneath substance abuse, all of those things, and finding creative alternative approaches and how we could help people with that. And then, you know, when I came to the U.S. coming from Europe, I got immediately involved in substance abuse treatment in this country, and I was really shocked of how often people in the U.S. who struggle with addiction and drug use, how often they get involved in the justice system and really often end up not getting the, the support they need. And I was working within these systems. I was working here in the Boulder County Jail, and I was working with DUI offenders and court-ordered teens. And you know, I felt we were not really connecting with them. We were not really inspiring them for healthy lifestyles. And out of utter desperation of not feeling that I made a big difference, I started asking young people, like, what are you looking for when you use a drug, whether that's marijuana or whether that's heroin? What are you actually looking for? And 
I ended up having really interesting conversations because what I learned was everything that people are looking for are positive things. You know, when people use a drug, there's usually a very intelligent desire or intention underneath that. So that's what I started asking myself, like, how can we support people with getting where they actually want to get to? You know, there's that, that last part you said really drives home for me. My drug addiction was focused on marijuana use and LSD. By the end of my tenure in in drug use and, and dealing with drug addiction on a daily basis, I took a tremendous amount of LSD on a daily basis near the end mm-hmm. of my, my days of use. And it was all to get to God. It was all to understand right. something deeper than this. It was, And more importantly, there was a big part of that that had created my self-concept, that I had become part of a culture. And as a kid who was abandoned by his biological father and really didn't know who I was or what I wanted or where I was in this mm-hmm. life, I was trying to find something deeper about me within me mm-hmm. and my only path inward was this drug use and I felt like it created right. an identity and it most certainly did I dressed like a, a stoner right. I talked like a stoner I acted like a stoner I listened to stoner music and I did stoner things and I essentially became part of this culture we have a client we have both shared and I remember one time I was working with him and he was telling me about an experience that he and a bunch of friends had had on shrooms. And he was saying, man, we took these shrooms and we went to the park and we all laid down around this tree with our heads facing the tree and we held each other's hands and our feet spread out into the grass like roots and we looked up through the branches and as the trip set in we became the roots of this tree and we looked through the branches and the branches extended up to God and we became part of this thing that was connected to God and we were the roots of it and he looked at me and he said how can that be bad and I said because you can't do that sober That's the bad thing. Mm -hmm. If you could do that sober, you wouldn't have to be putting this crap into your body. So you're right. These kids are looking for expansion. They're looking for evolution. They're just, they they think they have these journeys and they haven't left the couch. So you talk about this natural high lifestyle. How is it any different? How does it actually become a journey? If I stop doing drugs and and I say, okay, I'm going to go to this after school program. I want expansion. What do I do at natural highs? It's going to give me expansion. So, yeah, it was interesting. You know, I had so many conversations. I was called into classrooms by teachers who were just desperate, who felt like they didn't know what to bring to kids. And I asked them, you know, I said, when you use substances, whether that's marijuana or psychedelics, what are you looking for? And I had conversations where a whole circle of kids would literally say, we are looking for altered states. You know, and when you when you think about that, how much is that part of a high school curriculum, that kids actually have a chance to learn about that. And so we went, you know, it's like a group of kids and myself, we started studying altered states. So what does that actually mean? How is that actually happening inside of us, in our mind, in our soul? And how can we get there in natural ways, in healthy ways? And so one of the things we learned is the brain chemistry of altered states. So we know now that when people have an expanded state of consciousness, when people feel ecstatic from being in nature or being in a circle of friends, when people have those kind of non-ordinary states, we understand now the chemistry of it. It's exactly the neurotransmitters that get 
copied by drugs like marijuana or psychedelics. So it's very interesting. So we now have these kids on our team that are these geeks and nerds around studying altered states of consciousness from a brain chemistry perspective. So you teach the kids in natural highs brain chemistry, like like it, it's actually a brain chemistry class? Yes, and it's the kids who teach it, right? We teach what is actually happening when you use a drug like a psychedelic, so like LSD, or when you use a drug like marijuana, what actually goes on in the brain? How do those drugs actually create the high that they create? What we hear from kids is that they have never learned that anywhere, not even in drug programs, that usually they just get told, you know, not to do drugs, but never that they never get explained why they shouldn't do drugs. So, so kids are very, very interested in the details of that. So you're saying that, and I know that most of our audience is going to know, that heroin and dopamine are somehow linked. And then we've recently understood that cutting and dopamine are somehow linked and that cocaine and serotonin somehow are affected by each other. And you can also affect dopamine with exercise. And so, but you're going past that. You're saying that marijuana is copying something in my brain, not just heroin, not just cocaine, but you're saying marijuana, you're saying LSD. And I can hear the arguments of the popular drug culture saying, no, 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 marijuana doesn't do anything like that to the brain. So what's the counter? What are, what are these kids telling other kids that marijuana is actually doing to the brain? Every drug that creates a high in the brain needs to plug into our existing brain chemistry. Otherwise, it couldn't create a high. And so you can actually study every single drug separately and see how each drug influences our neurotransmitters. And so, for example, marijuana, especially THC, so the active, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana that causes the high from marijuana, THC is actually working because it's a copy of a natural neurotransmitter we all have called anandamide, which is a really important neurotransmitter in our body, especially if we want to experience a situation of feeling relaxed and calmed down. So it's a neurotransmitter that is incredibly critical that gets copied by THC. And that's why marijuana feels good to people in the moment. But unfortunately, long term, the body then stops making its own anandamide if it's flooded by copies. And then that causes situations where people feel high anxiety or can feel the inability to relax naturally because the anandamide system gets imbalanced. So what would I do as a teenager to... You know, let's say I stop smoking pot. I'm like, all right, this Avani lady's got something going. I'm going to stop smoking pot. And they've been doing a lot of pot. So now we know that their anandamide system is their, their own personal production has slowed down. So now 30 days after they've stopped smoking pot, their depression is coming back. That what are you helping them do to get that anandamide system back into play? How do you get their brain to start firing again? So that's the second half of what we teach, right? So we teach on the, the first half is that we teach what do substances actually do in brain chemistry? And then the second half of what we teach is how can you mobilize your own brain chemistry? So again, you can actually study with each neurotransmitter in particular what kind of nutrition, what kind of activities support that particular neurotransmitter. So if you're curious about, you know, how can you support your own anandamide system when you want to kind of get your own chill out uh, neurotransmitter going again, the interesting thing is that a lot of people don't know 
that actually exercise is one of the main activities that produce and release anandamide. So when people talk about the runner's high, you know, there's some confusion around how that feeling gets actually created, and a lot of people think it's endorphins. It's actually the biggest part of, of chemicals that cause the runner's high is actually anandamide. So it's often people, you know, when they quit smoking marijuana, it's the people who develop a healthy lifestyle in terms of healthy exercise. They can learn how to produce that relaxed, chill out feeling naturally through movement. And that doesn't have to be going to the gym. You know, for some people that they love that, but some people hate that. And so it could be things like dancing. We have people who, you know, do parkour. We have people who discover going into the mountains with friends and climbing. People can get very creative with that. Now, the other piece that we find that is really important with that is a certain level of training in mindfulness so that if you're doing the right things that you also know how to actually pay attention so that you notice, wow, yes, it's like these certain activities really create the feeling that I'm actually, that I was looking for all along. I'm going to say I've walked inside some of your natural highs classes and I'm going to tell the audience what I see and then I'm going to let you give it form and explanation because what I love about this when we have kids for the listeners to understand we teach the natural highs program here at our treatment center for teenagers. So I'm very familiar with what's going on. I want Avani to be able to explain this to you guys. But my one of my most favorite things to see, and I actually use it in talking to teenagers when I talk about the tour, is that I'll walk into one of Avani's classes and I'll see a group of 15 to 40 kids sitting in a big old circle. And they're all wearing their tie-dye, hippie, flowing clothes. And they're all talking about really deep stuff, man. And there's these little wooden bowls being passed around with these metal spoons sticking out of it. And Avani's sitting, or some of her students are sitting in the middle of a circle, and they're passing out tea. And what's funny to me is I remember sitting in circles like that, except instead of tea, we were passing around a bong. And we're talking about really heavy stuff, man. The problem is, and that I see, is that when the high wore off, uh, we either forgot what we were talking about, only remembered snippets, but only walked away with the emotional experience rather than the intellectual experience of what we were doing. And I'm watching a group of 15 to 40 kids stone sober doing the exact same thing that stoners do and so it's like there's it's like you're you're copying the copy of the thing that we're supposed to be doing in the first place which is producing these chemicals so explain that to parents they come to pick up their kid and their kids passing stuff around in a circle looks like a drug circle what's going on so that's interesting, right, that at this point, especially in the U.S., we know this culture of ceremony mostly around drug use. And, you know, I, I think that's a very sad state in our culture that we don't know this kind of ceremony and ritual in healthy ways. Now, when I saw, I encountered a ritual that comes from Argentina called sharing the yerba mate, which is a very old ritual where people get together with friends, either one-on-one or in a circle, and they have a ritual where they pass 
a gourd with a metal straw called bombilla and a tea that's called yerba mate. They share that. Now, when I saw that ritual for the first time, I thought, oh, this looks like, you know, people sharing pipes and bongs and joints. And I got very curious about how this other ritual works. And what I found out was that the herb that is getting shared in the yerba mate ritual is probably one of the most nutritious plants that we have on the planet right now. So I'm thinking, well, here we think of ourselves in the U.S. as being so advanced. But when you study our social rituals, they are often not that advanced. I mean, they feel wonderful, right, to celebrate and to be with friends feels wonderful. But if we end up using substances like alcohol or like marijuana, it's not very smart because these substances, they might feel good in the moment, but long term, they're actually hurting us more than they're helping us. And so what we learned in Natural Highs is that, you know, ritual and the ceremony is probably the bigger part of why kids and adults use substances. I have worked, and I'm sure you've encountered that in your work as well. I've encountered kids who were addicted to marijuana, but really didn't even like the chemical effect of it that much. So here you have this tragic situation where people are addicted to a drug, even though they don't even like it that much. And then you talk to people and you're like, well, how did you get addicted to that? And they're saying, well, you know, it's like, that's my way how I connect with friends. That's how I chill out at the end of a, you know, hard day. So people end up using a chemical just because they have no other options. And so what we're doing in Natural Highs is we use this ritual coming from Argentina that does the same thing. It connects you with friends. It includes these beautiful gestures of sharing and being together and having a literally an expression of that. Uh, by passing, you know, a gourd and a bombilla around in a circle. But at the same time, we are doing something. We are using an herb that is actually doing the opposite of what drugs and alcohol would do in your brain because it's it's nurturing your brain rather than hurting it. So this is where I want to start breaking into some of the heavier stuff. Because as I said, I've known Avani for a long time. And we teach her philosophy here at our residential treatment center. Our staff participates in these events. I've been at Avani Sober Raves as a bouncer in those front doors, watching the kids come in sober and go get high by dancing and go get high by connecting and go get high. My son really enjoyed Avani's class and got very deep into the brain chemistry, the intellectual pursuit of what these things are doing to the brain, where my son could then have really intense discussions with me about the truth about DMT and the truth about cocaine. Not just it makes me feel blankety blank, but that there was actually he had started to understand the science behind it. And in watching Avani from the outside, I began to realize that the way she was connecting with these kids was A, by telling them the truth, by B, not belittling the experiential piece of the drug use, but actually teaching them to pursue it in healthy ways and number three, ritualizing it, creating ceremony around it. Because these things are all things that we want. We want intellectual truths. We want experiences. And we want ceremony. We are ceremonial creatures. We And we have rituals. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we've got birthday parties. And everybody knows the words to the song. And then you blow out the candles. And it, there's 
there's ways that it's set up. And if I go to Taco Bell in Connecticut and I go to Taco Bell in California, I know what that burrito is going to taste like. It's a ritual for me. And I will tell you that when I finally was able to quit smoking nicotine, I did it with the vape and I just kept dialing down the nicotine and dialing down the nicotine until I was vaping with no nicotine. But then I came to the hard part where I had to try to stop the ceremony where I had a break. I was breathing deeply. I was standing outside. I was with a group of people and the dragon's breath was bursting from my mouth and I was creating a ceremonial link between myself and spirit. And while some families are probably some parents, teachers and clinicians are rolling their eyes at that. I have worked with archetypal psychologists to talk about smoke and how many religious cultures we have been through where incense and smoke has been our link to divinity. And here we've offered children a way to breathe fire and connect in that way. And so what Avani is on to here, folks, in my opinion, very humbly in my opinion, is the future of recovery, which is why we use it, which is why one of the reasons we can boast one of the highest success rates in the United States is because we do not shy away from the truth of drugs. Now, Avani, I want to extend it past drugs because I know you also work with kids who don't use drugs mm-hmm. and that who struggle mm-hmm. with video game addiction and internet addiction and cell phone addiction and cutting and depression and anxiety. How does this work translate for kids who aren't using drugs? I mean, again, right, we usually start studying the brain chemistry, uh, not just of drugs, but also of addictive, uh, addictive behaviors. And you can see that even behaviors that don't include a drug still profoundly alter brain chemistry. So when somebody gets addicted to self-harm, for example, they profoundly manipulate their own chemicals, their own neurotransmitters, and can create a cycle that is exactly the same as a drug addiction cycle. And when we teach this material in high schools, what we see happening in the room is that people experience a profound sense of relief, even if they're caught up in these cycles, because suddenly things start making sense to them. You know, suddenly people notice like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not this like, you know, outsider. I'm I'm somebody who got caught in a cycle that's very destructive. But now, because I understand it, now I know what I can do to help myself get out of it. So we really see over and over and have seen in the last 15 years that probably one of the most important tools for young people, but also for adults, is knowledge, right? It's understanding why am I doing these things? Why do I keep repeating these things even though they're hurting me? And so if somebody understands, oh, if I'm, you know, hurting myself, if I'm cutting, I'm producing and releasing more of my own endorphins and I can wear my own endorphin system out. And then, you know, you can study like what would actually support your endorphin system to get balanced and healthy again. So in that way, we also see that people create motivation to then use the healthy strategies. You know, like in our program, we see young people be extremely motivated to learn about healthy nutrition once they understand how nutrition is a really big impact on your mental health. So like if you struggle with depression and anxiety, that if you not, if you don't give your body the healthy building blocks to make your own serotonin and your own GABA and your own neurotransmitters, 
to calm yourself down, you're going to feel depressed and have anxiety. And so then suddenly young people are extremely interested. Okay, so what can I eat and what can I give my body to become more healthy again? Avani, I'm working with our clinical director here who's been a guest on one of my podcasts, uh, Sherry. We talked extensively about trauma. And I feel like addiction, one of the arguments that professionals, maybe it's not an argument, discussion that professionals start to get into is the chicken and the egg argument around environment versus the neurobiology. The, you know, are we, is the chicken the trauma and the egg the chemistry? Or is the egg the trauma and the chicken the chemistry? And which came first? So, you know, do we have chemical deficiencies in our brains that create behaviors that cause trauma or do trauma create chemical deficiencies in our brain? What's addiction of any kind? You know, pornography, gambling, uh, marijuana use, cocaine use, alcohol. Am I always looking for trauma first or should I be looking at brain chemistry first? And does it matter? You know, I think that's a really important question. And I think we need to be admitting that we're just at the beginning of it. You know, we work with a neuroscientist from Harvard and he keeps, I mean, in, my, in our conversation, he keeps reminding me that this is really a young field where people are just at the beginning of understanding how our brain chemistry actually works. And so I think we need to be humble around that and uh, admit that, that we're just beginning to understand the complexity of our human experience. Now, one thing I think that is becoming very clear is that addiction itself is probably not a disease, but that addiction is more a symptom of underlying imbalances that can stem from different sources, trauma definitely being one of them, overwhelm being another, a lack of support being another. So, I mean, the whole picture can get very overwhelming, but the, I think the good news is what we're learning in our program in Natural Highs is that when we empower young people to step up and, you know, take charge and start uh, getting healthier, that then lots and lots of good things start happening. So it's almost like, you know, if we can stop a downward spiral that we see right now in our culture around trauma and drug use. And if we can empower people to step in and start the movement towards positive change, we see that we can actually turn this around. Because again, it's a very complex picture. And we, we see that in our program. We have, you know, lots of kids who don't just deal with substance use issues, but with very difficult mental health issues, with trauma. But what we notice is that once somebody is stepping up and says, look, I want to do something here, I want to become a leader, not just for myself, but in my community, we see a ripple effect of a lot of good things happening. So what we see is the beginning is really giving people knowledge so that they have a sense of hope and that they have some ideas of what they can begin to do for themselves and for their community to make things better. Okay, so some meat and potatoes for parents. So now I'm a parent. I've walked into my kid's room. Uh, maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the third time. And I can smell the pot. I can smell the marijuana. I went through his old childhood keepsake box. And sure enough, there's a homemade pipe. And I'm I'm angry. I'm livid. I've called Avani for help. And she's given me three things that I gotta, I gotta do differently. What are, tell me as a parent, 
what do I do now? I've my kids smoking pot. I thought this day was coming. What should I do? Because I know the commercial culture will say, you know, you're, you're, don't you understand? You're making bad choices, and this is not, and this you're going to fail out of school, and your life is ruined. And, and then the other popular culture is saying, hey, man, marijuana, it's, it's a natural thing. It ain't, it ain't all that bad. And, you know, our body produces cannabinoids and all this crap I'm hearing right, now. Right. Yeah, so how do I how do I approach this from the natural highs way? So what we see a lot happening right now is that parents in a situation like that get very overwhelmed and feel helpless because they feel, you know, I don't even know enough about this. I don't know how to have this conversation. And so they don't know how to lean in. So what I would say is the number one most important thing a parent can do in this moment is not lean away, not give this up to, you know, professionals or other people, but to actually lean in and have that conversation with their daughter, with their son about what's going on. Because what we see and what we hear a lot from young people is that they feel deserted by adults in their lives, that they feel that adults don't really care that much, that their parents, you know, don't really care that much. And so what I would say to a parent is lean in. And if you feel that you don't know enough, I would say find ways of educating yourself, get the information so you have the confidence to have those conversations with your kid. So because of that, we do community presentations. We do education for parents where it's like, here, this is what's going on right now with marijuana, for example, or other substances. Don't let this slide because what we're seeing now, and this is would be the second tip I would give to parents, is set boundaries. We know now that, you know, the marijuana that kids are using these days or the THC products, have not much to do with the natural marijuana that ever grew out of the ground. I mean, the products that are now produced by the marijuana industry are so much more potent. You know, where marijuana in the 60s had, you know, 1% to 2% THC, now the marijuana that kids get through dispensaries have 30 to 35% THC. And kids often don't even use that kind of marijuana, but they use concentrates which have up to 90, 95% THC. So the drug that kids are using these days is really not harmless and it creates profound changes in the teenage brain and it profoundly interrupts teen brain development. And so it's not this harmless situation. So we would always encourage parents, you know, first of all, to step in, have those conversations, but also don't be shy to set firm boundaries and say to your child, look, this is not okay with me. I'm not going to let you hurt yourself. I'm not going to let you, you know, uh, you know, kind of undermine your own potential. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is, you know, don't do this alone. Like look for support, look for resources, both for yourself as a parent, but also for your child. We know now that the influence of peers is profoundly important. So get involved in your kid's life, get involved in your kid's friend's life, get involved with the parents of your kid's friends so that you don't get overwhelmed by feeling like you're alone in this, but get get support and get positive community around you and around your child. Avani, how can uh, parents find you? How can uh, kids find you? You you have this wonderful amazing community in Boulder, Colorado. I know that it's going to be very frustrating for some people to know that there's not one of you in every high school. <laughs> and in fact, 
uh, earlier, right before our conversation, I want to bring this up real quick. I got the Surgeon General's uh, 2016 report. And number two of the Surgeon General's, uh, point number two of the Surgeon General's 2016 report is showing that only 8 to 10% of schools actively provide structured drug prevention programs. That blows me away. And I know, I know you and I have been in this game a long time and we know people who've been in this game a long time and you and I both know how much you and I both do in the schools and in the communities and to, for the, it's still to be eight to 10%. And on top of that, the programs in the communities, in the schools and stuff like that are not always effective. And recently mm-hmm. their current administration has said, well, you should talk to kids about it and tell them it's bad. It's like, okay, we tried that. We tried that. Mm-hmm. And there's actually some evidence that the last time we tried the DARE program, that it made things worse. And you right. come across a process that is making things better. I can attest to that. The parents of the kids in my program can attest to it. Your kids uh, can attest to it. My kids who were in your uh, after-school programs can attest to it. What are these parents going to do in these places that they're part of the 90% of school districts who aren't doing any type of participation in drug prevention? We see that even locally, that a lot of schools, they're kind of giving up on drug prevention because they have tried it and they have seen it not be very effective in the kind of old style way they have done this in the past. And that's really a shame because we know that, you know, by not doing anything, that's not uh, making things uh, better, especially now. Uh, we have, you know, all these industries that, you know, make lots and lots of profit of the fact that kids are getting into marijuana or keep smoking uh, cigarettes. I mean, we know that there's, you know, people who are very invested on uh, in getting kids addicted to substances well, that are not great. Not, so, not only that, but but addiction begins in childhood. It's, it's not something that you suddenly catch. I'm with you about not calling it a disease and that there's underlying factors. If that is proven to be true, we're going to see that these underlying factors stretch back to childhood. <laughs> and so if we're not teaching children about addiction and this and the counterculture, the popular culture is saying, Meh, it's not that big of a deal. Look at us legalize it. Right. And let's have sports stadiums named after alcohols and let's have you know, concerts uh, sponsored by, and it is, you can't turn around and your kid cannot turn around and have it shoved into their face. And then we're going to take away the education to the contrary. We ta- we're taking away right. choice. We're, we're, people believe that now they have a real choice. No, they don't. Not when 90% of places aren't telling you what's really going on in your brain. Right. And we see that, you know, because it's not the young people that don't want that. I mean, we we see that young people really want to learn about drugs. They want to learn about brain chemistry. They want to learn about healthy alternatives. And in our program over the last 15 years, you know, when we do our anonymous evaluation at the end, over nine, over 85 percent of all of of all of our participants who go through natural highs say that they either decrease their use or they want to stay clean and sober. So over 85% of all of our participants change their view on substances after going through our workshops. So there you see that young people are not really the problem at all, that they there's a lot of motivation in young people to learn. And so 
what we're seeing is that really, you know, it's the adults who need to provide those resources. And so I would say to parents, you know, do what you can to advocate. Uh, so we are aware, you know, we are a grassroots movement and we are building a website right now, naturalhives.org, where we want to create a hub so that people who are not here in Boulder, Colorado can learn about the way we're working and can, you know, get our support. Uh, for creating a different approach to substance abuse prevention in their own communities. We also now have young people, you know, the peer mentors who are with us during high school, uh, go into other communities and run natural highs in other communities. So we have now one of our young leaders in Australia doing natural highs with Aboriginal youth uh, that we're really proud of. And so uh, we hope that, you know, our young people will go into different communities uh, teaching natural highs. But please, you know, I would say to parents, uh, educate yourself on uh, approaches that are actually working and uh, and speak up, like speak up in your schools, uh, speak up in your local governments that you would like to have resources put towards more effective drug prevention programs. So I got a website, naturalhighs.org. I know you got a Facebook page. Can you tell our listeners what it is? Yeah. So you can link up with us. We have a Facebook page called Natural Highs Community, where we put out information that we think is important, where we encourage a dialogue and communication. And so feel free to get to our page, Natural Highs Community. If you like the page, you will get our updates. You can also sign up uh, with your email to get our newsletter and our invites. And I know at this point, a lot of them are local, but at least you can know, you can be part of our community and be a hub. We also, this coming school year, we would like to create a Patreon community organizing and fundraising effort. So if you sign up with our newsletter on our website, you will get all the updates on that in how you can become part of our community and support us. So again, the website is naturalhighs.org and feel free to connect with us there so we can be in touch. So Avani, if I'm a professional and I want to bring you into the community to speak at the school I teach at the, with the colleagues I work with, how does a, uh, how does a uh, professional get in touch with you? Again, right, so our website is the hub. So if you go to naturalheist.org, you find our contact info there. Again, you can sign up, become part of our community, getting all of our updates, but you can also contact me there directly. Wonderful. So from this conversation with Avani, I come away with the reinforcement of the truth around what's going on with drugs and alcohol and cutting and addiction in our brain. The second thing is that we can't shortchange the experience that we are after when we utilize, whether it's to relax after a hard day or to get closer to God or to expand or to experience an altered state. And the third is that ritualization of it. If you feel that you have a way that you can support Avani's organization, please go to naturalhighs.org. I could spend hours talking how highly I think of Avani. She trains our staff. She trains our parents. Her students train our kids. We love what she has created. I hope to always be linked up with you, Avani. You, you are an amazing yeah. person. You're one of my heroes, and I absolutely adore you and your work. So thank you so much for being on this show with us today. 
Thank you so much, Erin, for your work. Thank you for creating all this goodness in the world and getting us together and connected because at this point, we need to work together on this if we want to turn this culture around in terms of supporting our young people. So I so appreciate all the work that you do and how you get us together because that's what we need. So I so appreciate being part of what you do. Thank you, Avani. Stay on the line with me, folks. This is Aaron Huey saying, till next time, remember the mantra. Take care of yourself first. Take care of your adult relationships second. Take care of the children third. In that way, we will always do our best work for the children. We'll talk again soon. I want to say thank you to all my peeps at Mental Health News Radio for editing this show, for engineering the sound, and for putting up with my shenanigans. Until next time, folks, thank you for listening to Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us at Beyond Risk and Back. Support for parents, clinicians, and teachers. Join us at beyondriskandback.com. You can download past episodes there. Visit Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center's website for information, support, and continuing education trainings for parents and professionals at www.firemountainprograms.com. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook by searching at Beyond Risk and Back. You can also follow me on Twitter, catch me on YouTube, and join me here every week for another podcast. This is Aaron Huey saying, remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work for the children. Thank you for listening, and we will talk again soon.